0: Hi, this is Joe Rubenstein, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbanus, and I am joined by my partner, Bob Lucius. Hey Bob, how's it going today?
1: Oh, it's going great, Rick. I mean, uh, what could be better, right? We're gonna we're gonna talk about cap again today, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that as always.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's been a lot of fun. We've only been doing this like this is episode number seven, and uh, I I've been enjoying it each week, and it seemed to we you know the listeners are seeming to enjoy it too. We're getting a lot of good responses in the Facebook group and some reviews and. Um, things like that. So uh, yeah, it, I, I've been having a lot of fun. You've been having a lot of fun. And it, it seems like the listeners are enjoying it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, we've had, uh, we've had some great guests. We've uh, talked about some great story arcs. And, uh, you know, I mean, as a guy, a lifelong Cap fan that I am, I'm still learning stuff, man. I'm, I mean, I'm seeing stuff in some of these stories that uh, that I hadn't seen before and, and learning a lot from the guests. So it's it's been a great
0: I know, right? So we've been we've been talking with some uh, some guests. Uh, we've got uh, several several uh, guests lined up for the next few months. Uh, so uh, can't wait to get to those. And you're right. I, I'm learning stuff, and it's also fun reliving stuff too, you know. And and kind of going down that uh, nostalgic um, uh, road, if you will. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So you know, talk about. You know, going back and and, uh, looking at some great stories and great runs. You know, this episode, we're going to be kicking off our uh, first podcast about the Roger Stern and John Byrne era of the Captain America comics. Of course, very short-lived. Most people agree with that. Too too short. Only nine issues back in 1980. Uh, But we're going to do the first three here. We're going to do issues 247, 248, and 249. Now, these had cover dates of July, August, and September 1980, which means they came out and hit the stands probably in the spring and summer of 1980. I don't know about you, Bob, but I, uh, I was, you know, uh, just a kid. You know, seeing, seeing some of those uh, Captain America covers by John Byrne and, and Joe Rubenstein uh, really caught my eye.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I especially, uh, you know, we'll start talking about uh, 247 in just a minute, but just the cover of 247 with the cap with his old heater shield, you know, I mean, that's just is super eye catching.
0: Yeah, it really is. Because you're looking at 247. And um, what you have here is is cap with his original shield, right, the triangular original shield, you've got um, this car bursting into this room, firing weapons at him, and it's it's got Baron Strucker behind the wheel. And then, uh, ducking for cover, you have, from the Howling Commandos, you have uh, Dum-Dum Dugan. And wait a minute, wh- when does this story take place? Is, it, is this? Yeah, right. It got my attention. And it says, Baron Strucker strikes. Plus, a startling secret of Cap's past revealed. So, uh, it is, it's a, it's a great cover by John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein. So we go to the, uh, we open this up splash page. And, uh, this story is done by Roger Stern and John Byrne. So Roger Stern, longtime editor for Marvel. Um, he actually was an editor from 1976 to 1980 for, for Marvel. And, um, then he uh, spent a little time writing. So right around the time where he took this Captain America assignment, he also jumped on spectacular Spider-Man. And then he went on to, to have some really good writing um, uh, in the early 80s with Amazing Spider-Man, um, long runs on the Avengers and Doctor Strange. Um, I don't know if you know He also co-created the West Coast Avengers with Bob Hall. So he's, he's you know, he's a, a storied writer uh, but also an editor. And so he is the writer of the story and the co-plotter with penciler John Byrne. Now, I don't have to tell anyone who John Byrne is. This, this guy's a legend, right? He um, obviously uh, was, you know, got an early start uh, on, with uh, Marvel premiere and Iron Fist and then became famous for his, his run with Chris Claremont uh, with the, uh, the X-Men. So right around this time, he was also doing The Avengers. Uh, So he had, um, uh, I want to say he ended up, he did a few issues in the 60s and then uh, a few, I'm sorry, 160s. And then, uh, you know, a nice little run there in 181 to 191. So right around that time, he he left uh, to jump on to uh, Captain America. Um, And also, I want to say, right before this, he did his very first work at D.C., and it was uh there was a mini series uh back in early 1980 called the untold legend of batman and he did the first issue so um so but you know he again he's he's early in his career cuz right after he leaves captain america you know he goes on to this 5 year run with fantastic four uh he he joins uh you know he, he launches alpha flight in 1983 um and and also right around uh this time he was doing uh the, the Dark Phoenix saga for X Men. So, this he's a, uh, a legend in his time. Also, on the book is uh, as the inker is Joe Rubenstein, uh, here known as Joseph Rubenstein. Um, and Joe is a prolific inker uh, who has been around uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, and we have the uh, opportunity to speak with him. We had a, a nice interview with him that's going to appear in the next ep- uh, episode, number eight. And um, so he's, uh, he's the anchor that's been partnered on this, this team with uh, Stern and Byrne. And then we have um, also joined on the creative team for this particular issue. Uh, we have uh, the colorist, George Rossos, and the letterer, Jim Novak, editor Jim Salakrup and the editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Um, the name of this story is called By the Dawn's Early Light. And the splash page um, takes place on the famous Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, it's Cap just running on the walkway on the bridge and uh, where, you know, there's joggers and bicyclists and, and uh, other people on there. And they're all just gawking, right? That here's, here's this uh, living legend the Sentinel of Liberty, running along. He's, as he's running, he has a, he's thinking to himself. He says, moving to Brooklyn Heights was one of the smartest things I've ever done. Not only is it a good neighborhood, but it's the proximity to the br- bridge that provides easy access to Manhattan. And so you see here, uh, uh, one of the girls, the jogger stops. She says, gosh, he's dreamy, And the way he runs, I never saw anyone who looked so confident so sure of himself. And this gives uh, uh, an opportunity for Steve. He, he's thinking, um, I heard that young lady. I just wish I was as sure of my own head as I was of my principles. As a matter of fact, my peace of mind or lack of same is a motivating force behind this early morning junket. I'm certain that shield holds the key that will put my mind at ease once and for all. So he uh, he jumps off the bridge, uh, lands on top of a bus. Uh, so the bus is heading into Manhattan, and he's trying to get his way to the Shield headquarters. And of course, Cap's not a freeloader. He's not going to just uh, you know say thanks oh. and jump off. He uh, he he bends over. He gives the 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 bus driver um, uh, you know some coins right, and uh, he says, "Fine, I, I'm going to get off at Midtown," and the bus driver says. Alice will never believe this.
1: <laughs> I love I love that uh, cultural reference.
0: Yes. Very clever. Uh, and of course, kind of looks like a character known as Ralph Crandom uh, from the Honeymooners. So it was a nice little throw-in there. And you know, th- these next couple of panels uh are just so cool, so John Byrne layout, you know. He he uses the momentum of the bus. To use his acrobatics to uh, go up to the top of a building and it's it 's this great one panel, just one panel here has one two, three four five six, and then almost seven uh, images of cap as he 's you know mo- moving through his somersaults here and I, I mentioned this to you before Bob when when, uh, when we were doing the uh, the Mike Zeck um, uh, pages of of Deathlock where you know he did the the same thing where you know there 's a bunch of Captain America's in the same panel. I miss this. This is classic 80s art, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I often wonder if, uh, you know, if artists, uh, you know, saw this in their head or if they watched, you know, real uh, uh, gymnasts perform their, uh, their acrobatics and, and, and modeled some of these uh, moves because they look so so smooth. The flow of, of, of the movements looks so uh, lifelike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to watch. So Cap's got his uh, thinking, he's thinking again here, and he says, right now, I'm convinced that Nick Fury can help me unscramble my jumbled memories. Memories. It's funny the way little things will trigger them, like the way the surprise party that Josh Cooper threw for Steve Rogers last week reminded me of my 16th birthday. Something about that party clicked, and I vividly remembered a brief period of my boyhood as Steve Rogers, but in that flash of memory, I saw myself growing up in New York. That contradicts the, quote, lost memories, which Dr. Harding's mind probe machine restored to me. Something is wrong, and I've got to find out what. I guess I've always been a little uneasy about the little blank spots in my memory. It's just that I was always too busy to let them worry me. After all, the shock my system endured when I was thrown into suspended animation at the war's end was pretty severe. There are a lot of things I couldn't remember, At first. And I think we we touched on this in the first episode, right? When um, Cap was in Avengers 4 and he was unfrozen and he didn't recognize who?
1: Yeah, he didn't didn't recognize uh, uh, the Submariner, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, this is a a nice little way of trying to uh, describe that. Now, he is referring back, when he says Dr. Harding's mind probe, he is referring back to Captain America 225 which was written by Steve, uh, Steve Gerber. And the, this issue and, and subsequent issues were kind of talk about uh, how, why, the, uh, why there's a discrepancy here. He says, uh, or thinks, but this latest memory mystery has been bothering me all week. I've got to clear it up at once. I don't have the time to waste on my past. Not while I'm trying to build a future for Steve Rogers. So he then runs to a brick wall, uh, but it's not a brick wall. It's just a a, um, hologram, and he comes through, and and he's inside the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, sending off an alarm. And, uh, of course, the S.H.I.E.L.D. soldiers come running, and he says, hold it right there, Agent. In case you haven't heard, the National Security Council recently returned full clearance to bearers of the Avenger priority card. Bob, what? What, this is the ID card again. I
1: love it. I love the ID card. I got to tell you, Rick, I've been in a lot of high secure facilities, you know, throughout my, my military career. And uh, it's always required a little bit more than my ID card. But uh, I guess, you know, when Cap's sporting the uniform and he's got the voice of authority, the ID card is sufficient.
0: Yes. And speaking of that voice of authority, uh, the, the guard says, yes, sir, but, but nothing. I need some information from your director and I don't intend to wait around for it. You're going to cut through the red tape and take me to the office. Is that clear? Uh, yes, sir. Right away, sir. So, Roger Stern is wasting no time. Uh, early on in the story, showing the the presence that Captain America has, right? Because the the jogger mentioned, uh, oh, he he looks so confident. Uh, soldiers, you know, just immediately snap to to attention. So that's. Um, Uh, that's uh, something that they're trying to establish here. So now we switch over to the Brooklyn Heights, which is the apartment building uh, for Steve Rogers. And uh, one of his neighbors and friends, uh, Josh Cooper is knocking on the door, but uh, he's not there. And the, uh, his other friend, Mike Farrell uh, comes out and, and lets him know and says, Oh, but I've got somebody I want to introduce you to. So Steve mentions that he, you know, as I said, not while I'm trying to build a future for Steve Rogers. I think Roger Stern is also trying to build a future for Steve Rogers, right? I think he's trying to build uh, the surrounding cast of Steve outside of uniform. Now, granted, uh, uh, Josh Cooper and, and Mike Farrell, they they appeared um, for the first time like 10, 10 issues ago. Um, so they're still relatively new. But, um, I, you know, Roger uh, goes and, and builds on these characters a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And, I, you know, I love that about, uh, about Cap and particularly about this, this time in, uh, in the Cap stories, uh, this, this decade and, and the, the end of the decade, the previous decade, the 70s, because they did explore so much of, uh, of Cap's personal life. Uh, and the personal life i thought added a whole new dimension to to captain america that uh, just made it so much more relatable
0: yeah absolutely you know he's he's more than just the the costume and the shield so on this next page uh, page 10 we have captain america bursting into nick fury's office and he's just he's just opening up the door shoulders back shield pushing it open look alive fury i want words with you so he's uh, certainly got a, a lot of presence here as well. And Nick Fury is not there. It's Dum Dum Dugan sitting behind Nick's uh, desk with his feet up on the desk and his bowler hat and his chomping on a cigar. And uh, he tells him he's not here. Um, he, what can I do for you? And Cap says, well, you know, it's a long story. And then they cut to the third panel, 30 minutes later, so he really fills him in uh, on the backstory of, of what's been going on with his memories. So he says, and that's what I'm up against, Dugan. My few flashes of old memories place the young Steve Rogers in New York. But these memories are vague, blurred almost. The memories that Harding's machine restored are highly detailed. They tell me that I was the son of a diplomat, that I grew up in Maryland, that I was a brother, Mike, who, who died in Pearl Harbor. It's all very vivid and detailed but it just doesn't feel right. Now the Army's records seem to substantiate the Steve Rogers who grew up in Maryland, but, and Dum Dum interrupts him, but that that don't mean a thing. Army records can be doctored, believe me. I'd say you got yourself a serious problem if you can't trust your own noggin. Exactly, I must know my own mind. But by the same token, I, I don't have the time to waste on any more wild goose chases. That's why I was hoping Fury could use his pool to dig up the truth. Yeah, well, Nick was expecting something like this. He wasn't satisfied with your newfound memories either, so he ordered an all-channels computer check on your past. Now, I ain't saying that we found all the answers, mind you, but we did dig up something that just might fill the blanks for you. Let's go see. I'll radio Nick, and he can join us as soon as he finishes up other business. So that other business that Nick Fury is on, so on page 11, he's pulling in, uh, in his uh, Ferrari, uh, Ferrari, into this uh, this prison, uh, federal maximum security prison. And he goes in and um, he meets up with his old adversary, Baron von Strucker. So Baron von Strucker is looking pretty good for his age and also for what he's been through. Um, and Nick Curie even comments on this. He says, the last time I saw you, you took a dive into an alpha particle reactor cube on hydra island and were burnt to a cinder which happened in strange tales 158 imagine my surprise when you turned up later in the bloom of health to give captain america a hard time in cap 130 to 131 now for those who don't know baron von strucker he was first introduced in the pages of sergeant fury and howling commandos number five so this goes way back and he um him and, and Fury have been nemesis for quite some time. And he's shown up in the other pages of Tales of Suspense and uh, I think Tales of Suspense, but uh, Avengers and, and, and things like, and, and Captain America 130 and 131, as, uh, as this pointed out. So on page 14, Nick Fury uh, basically comes with a big smile and he says he's got, um, that uh, he's being extradited to Israel. And he says, I hear those war crime trials are really something. Excuse me a minute. I got uh, some official business. So he gets a phone call and he tells, uh, it's dum-dum, right? And he says, tell um, uh, Cap uh, that, uh, you know, take, take him out to Fort Dix and I'll meet you there as soon as I'm done. So Baron von Strucker pulls out this, uh, some sort of gas grenade and throws it and knocks out Fury, so then we cut over to uh, the next page where uh, they're at Fort Dix and it's, it's Captain America and Dum Dum Dugan. And they go into um, this old locker and uh, it, it took some while, right? It, uh, it was very classified, but uh, they were able to find Captain or Steve Rogers old locker and they pull it out and Steve is so excited. He's very happy. He says, well, I'll be my old army footlocker. I've wondered whatever happened to it. I don't suppose. Yes, there it is. My first shield. It still fits like a glove. I only used it for a few months, you know. And then he looks further in the footlocker and he finds this is just what the doctor ordered. If this doesn't get things straight, nothing will. My old war journal. Bob, do you have an old war journal?
1: You know, um, I, I do actually, uh, and but I got to tell you, I'm not the sort of guy that does real well with a journal. I always seem to forget writing in it, but, uh, but, you know, I knew lots of guys in the military that, um, that kept journals and, uh, and have gone on to write books based on their memories. So, yeah, so it's not unusual, but uh, I do have a footlocker, but I got to tell you, it's just, it's full of like old socks and torn up uniforms <laughs> and stuff like that. But, uh, but I do, I keep it every now and again, I open it up and look through it for the memories.
0: Well, yeah, stay tuned for episode 15 where we'll we visit Bob's old locker. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, so here we are on page 16 and Cap saying to himself, here, this is the entry I was looking for, Christmas Eve, 1941. It's all coming back to me now. Today I was summoned to Washington by General Phillips, one of the few army officers who knows my double identity. So essentially uh, the the officer tells Steve, look, you're about to go overseas with this new supergroup, the invaders. And, you know, there's a chance you could be captured by the Nazis and tortured into revealing top secret information. So we have to give you some false memories. So Steve kind of says, "Uh, really, is this necessary? He goes, look, son, it's out of my hands. So they introduce him to this uh, Mr. Walter Rogers from the State Department. And they're going to basically be the fake family for... Steve Rogers. And so uh, Walter Rogers goes on to say um, that, uh, you know, his, his son uh, died at Pearl Harbor and, and he's honored. And this is the least they can do. So Steve goes and has these, these false implants put in. So this is basically retconning Steve, Steve Gerber's Captain America 225. And it only took 22 issues to do it. So, Steve then closes his journal and says, that's it. Doctors Harding Mind Probe triggered those pre-programmed false memories. Thank heaven I remember now. I remember it all. My middle name's not Grant. I never had a middle name. And I, I didn't grow up in Maryland. I grew up in Manhattan on the Lower East Side. I was orphaned in my teens. Wanted to go to art school, but couldn't afford it. All comes back so real and true. Just then, they're interrupted by... Nick Fury's flying Ferrari busting through the uh, the wall, very much similar to the cover of this of this issue, and you have Baron uh, Baron von Strucker saying, "So, Captain America, I have found you at last. Now we shall finish the battle that we started years ago. We shall finish it with your death." Now, unfortunately, uh, it separates Cap from his his real shield, his um, his current shield. And they, they get into a, a little bit of a, a melee. Uh, he picks up his rectangular shield, which he, of course, hasn't used since 1940. And he, uh, he throws it at the flying Ferrari, which causes it to, uh, to crash. Baron von Strucker comes out. But he's got uh, two pistols in his hands. He shoots dum-dum Dugan. He's shooting at Cap. Um, the rectangular shield's really not standing up very well to it. And so Cap throws it, but really it was a distraction to get Strucker to turn his head. He attacks him. They're fighting. Uh, Strucker pulls off his glove and he says, you patriotic idiot. Baron Strucker is never unarmed. Behold, the Satan Claw. Do you remember the Satan Claw?
1: You know, I got to tell you, I don't remember the Satan Claw.
0: It's a pretty strong weapon.
1: I'm, I'm intrigued.
0: So he says, once more, its electrified might is mine. Once more, Baron Strucker is supreme. And uh, Captain America then has a little thought bubble here, and he's thinking the same thing I think every reader thought. He says, how did he fit that claw under his jumpsuit glove? It's almost as if the thing unfolded from his hand, because it it really was huge. Uh, Then we notice that Nick Fury uh, an unconscious Nick Fury was in Strucker's car all along and he wakes up, he sees what's going on, he throws Cap his uh, circular shield, which Cap then takes that, destroys the Satan Claw and they capture uh, uh, Baron, Baron von Strucker. And, uh, Baron, uh, and Cap says to Baron, long ago, I resigned myself to never hearing the last of men like you. Just remember this. If you show up again, I'll be around to stop you. And uh, so Cap's thinking to himself as as Nick Fury and him uh, and Strucker are arguing against. He says something's wrong here. Strucker is taking this far too calmly, but he's has no hope of escaping. So what's he up to? And Strucker all of a sudden uh, does a, 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 collects his heels together and salutes. And he says, you shall never deliver me to the accursed Juden, colonel. The final triumph shall be mine. Seek Heil. And he blows up. Now, if you were reading this story for the first time, you're like, wow, did he just like commit suicide? Was this like a sacrifice, like a suicide bomb? Like, what did he do? You turn the page, the very last page, and Cap says, no, it's happened again. And there you have a robot. Strucker was a robot all this time. He says, for the second time in weeks, the man I've been fighting is a robot. And uh, which, again, we're referring back to issue 242. And uh, Nick Fury says, you mean we've had a robot locked up and didn't even know it? I'm afraid so, Nick. But if there's someone out there who can make robots that realistic in appearance, what will he throw at us next? And then you, you see that they've been being watched by a camera, uh, most likely still in the robot. And it's this, this long, slender, bald man uh, in a yellow jumpsuit with these uh, red, a very weird-looking red beard that's kind of shaved in uh, on the chin and these huge, bushy red eyebrows. And he says, Tut-tut, Captain. That would be telling. And if there's one thing the machinesmith likes to keep, it's the element of surprise. But I must admit, Captain America is a most resourceful adversary. In fact, he might be just the man I need for my next series of tests. And the, uh, the screen talks to him and says, "Machine Smith, uh, excavation is nearly complete. We're unearthing the prime subject now. Excellent. Yes, most excellent. I think that the prime subject will prove to be the one opponent even Captain America cannot beat, though I'm certain That he will die trying. Next issue: the man who makes robots, the private life of Steve Rogers, and more. Whatever you do, don't miss a dragon in the night. So this was the introduction to this Machine Smith. Now, if you're not familiar with Machine Smith, he's been around uh, since 1979, so you know recent. Now his original character was introduced in 69, which is a character by the name of Star Saxon. And he was an he was introduced in Daredevil 49. He uh he then took over as uh uh Mr. Fear, he killed Mr. Fear, became the new Mr. Fear in Daredevil 54. Uh but then he perished um and uh he became the machine smith. So uh, the first appearance of Machine Smith is actually in Marvel 2 and 1 number 47 which was written by Bill Mantlo. And um, guess who was the editor of Marvel 2-in-1, number 47, back in January of 1979? Who was it, Rick? Roger Stern.
1: Roger Stern.
0: Guess who the colorist was?
1: Could it have been our friend Bob, Bob Sharon?
0: Uh, well, of course. It, it was a, a comic book and in that time period. It was most likely covered uh, colored by Bob Sharon. So right. um, what would you think of this issue?
1: You know i i uh, i i'm as i said i don't i don't remember reading this particular comic when it came out but uh i i really enjoyed this arc and and i i enjoyed the machine smith I, I thought he was a, a compelling villain
0: yeah yeah i agree and uh, you know it's he's it's interesting because also I, I i failed to describe this last panel um because he's standing there i described him in his his yellow jumpsuit because that really stands out but uh in the background there's uh, all these robots laying there and it's the thing it's iron man it's spider-man it's magneto very cool
1: yeah and i, I gotta tell you the way you voiced him uh he sounded just like jim carrey from lemony snicket <laughs> a series of unfortunate events so i don't know if that was intentional but uh, he has that look to him as well from that character so yeah
0: he does yeah he does you know funny thing is I, I do voices with my kids, <laughs> um, but I, I haven't really wanted, decided to do any voices on this. I, I don't know if uh, the listeners want to, to hear me uh, inflect different uh, voices uh, while doing this. If well,
1: you, I do. I, I want to hear you do Bernie. So that's, I'm holding out for that one.
0: Uh, all right. So there you go, listeners. If you, if you are happy that I am not inflecting my voice, tell us, uh, but if there is a a demand, uh, maybe I'll consider it. So in the letters to the living legend, which is uh, in the the letter column and here in the back, uh, Roger Stern has written a letter to uh, the readers. And I'm going to read this because I think it's pretty cool. And it says, introductory thoughts on a living legend. Captain America is not us. And yet Captain America is all of us. Allow me to explain. That opening sentence is not anomalous as it may first seem. Captain America, on an abstract level, is all of us. Cap stands as a living symbol of all our hopes and dreams. He's the personification of the ideals of all Americans. And by, quote, Americans, I'm referring to more than just the citizens of the United States or the inhabitants of the Western Hemisphere, but we'll talk more about that another time. However, on a more personal day-to-day level, Captain America is not quite like any of us. You see, Steve Rogers, the man behind the mask, was born shortly after the First World War and grew to adulthood during the 1920s and 30s. Consider that for a moment. Steve Rogers' morals, his goals, and desires were shaped in a world that was very different from the one we know. He grew up poor during the worst economic depression in recorded history. He experienced a world of deprivation a time of social upheaval rivaling anything that goes on today. The young Steve Rogers was was weak and sickly, but his mind was fast and keen, his principles firm and strong. It was probably just the luck of the draw that he was chosen in the winter of 1940 to participate in Operation Rebirth. Whatever the circumstances, a better choice could not have been made. For Steve Rogers got a strong new body out of the deal, and the world got Captain America. And a little over four years later, it lost him. Steve Rogers, Captain America, disappeared from the world. And though others tried to replace him, no one could truly measure up to the man who had become a legend. Decades passed. A global war gave way to a cold one, peppered here and there with questionable police actions and political brush fires. The world as had been said, perhaps too many times, changed. And then a kind of miracle happened. Steve Rogers, Captain America, was found, and he was not dead, merely sleeping in suspended animation. The legend lived again. He saw what had happened to the world, and he was surprised. Perhaps he was even a little shocked. But he started to adjust, and he continues to do so always trying to find a little bit of space in this so-called civilization for a fellow named Steve Rogers. But he can never be quite like any of us. He's still a young man, but he's several generations old. He's a man out of time who is learning to cope. An anomaly? Of course. An anachronism? Never. He's Captain America. And no matter how strange, how bizarre life may become, he'll find a way to make things work. Roger Stern, New York City, December 13th, 1979.
1: Man, that's awesome. Rick. You know, I would love to, uh, uh, I don't even know if they're out there anywhere, but I would love to just get a volume of uh, collected uh, editorial uh, comments like that. You know, the letters to the readers, and along the way different creative teams that have addressed uh, addressed cap on a on a personal level like that and i know you know many different creative teams and writers have uh, have done that but it would be great to see them all brought together in one place
0: yeah yeah it would be make for an interesting read absolutely you know it's funny thing is i don't know if you felt the same way i did when reading that but that could have been written that could have been written today not just 41 years ago so yeah uh, it still holds true today. And, and, and you know what? I think Roger Stern, he shows right from the get go, he gets it. All right. So now we're on the two forty eight, uh, which is um, on the cover. It says caught in the clutches of dragon man. And so you have this, this classic uh, character uh, from the fantastic four, I believe. Right. Um, and it is this huge dragon man, right? He's got uh, the face of a dragon and wings, but he also has arms and legs. Um, so he's, uh, but uh, I don't know if uh, the reader, you know, the readers who are getting this know much about him. But he is a robot. He is a robot, and he's got Captain America's shield in his mouth, and uh, and Captain America's kind of getting crushed here. So we opened this up, and and one of the things. That, uh, uh, and, you know what, let me go back to the cover. I I, I wanted to say this last, um, last issue. And that is, um, up in the left-hand corner, uh, the Captain America corner box, you know, where they put the characters. Uh, this was done by John Byrne. And he's charging, you know, with his shield. Uh, but, you know, this was actually done uh, in, I want to say, 245. So, While John Byrne didn't start the series in 247, he actually did the logo, and they put it on the logo in 245, even though issues 245 and 246 had kind of a fill-in artist. They knew at that time the power of John Byrne, and so they they put him on earlier than he would, which replaced the very long-time corner box of uh, Jack Kirby. So we go in here into the splash page, and I also wanted they also changed something else. So uh, at the very top, right above where it says "Stan Lee presents Captain America," there's a little blurb that's written, and this is new. And I, I don't know if Roger Stern wrote this, uh, if uh, Editorial wrote this. My guess is it's Roger Stern, but uh, maybe someone could uh, tell us in the Facebook group. But um, it's it's changed. The one before said. 1941, and in the midst of World War II. But this one says 1940 as the world teetered on the brink of global war. Frail Steve, Steve Rogers entered a secret laboratory and was transformed into the American super soldier. For four thrilling years, he battled the Axis powers until a freak stroke of fate threw him into suspended animation. When he awoke, he was a man decades out of his time. Since that fateful fateful day, Steve Rogers has sought his destiny in the brave new world. So they changed some wording in here, and I think this has to do with the fact they retconned the story of when he became uh, Captain America um, and in his history, right? Because even even in the last, um, you know, letter from Roger Stern, he mentioned that, he made a point to mention that Steve Rogers was poor, that Steve Rogers... Uh, in nineteen forty enlisted and um, so they're they're correcting that uh, with uh, with these with this retelling uh, of or retconning a little bit of of the the history and that's an
1: interesting point Rick i i gotta i gotta tell you i uh, i didn't uh, i didn't uh, i didn't notice that at first and uh, and I, I gotta i gotta dig into this a little bit more because uh, the difference between early 1941 and uh, mid or late 1940 doesn't seem like a, a big difference, but there must be a reason um, why that difference is, uh, is important.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, so this one is, again, written by Roger Stern, penciled by John Byrne, and they're both uh, co-plotters. And again, Joe Rubinstein is the inker and Jim Novak is a letterer. However, the new colorist is Bob Sharon. Uh, and Jim Salakrup is the editor. So, big splash page of Captain America and the Shield crew, including Nick Fury and, and Dugan, and um, the scientists and a few soldiers are all standing around this this robot of Baron Strucker uh, laid out on a table, and they uh, they're just remarking on the fact that uh, how how real the the robot was. I mean, the scientist even says, you know, this this puts our our life model decoys, our LMDS, to shame. Uh, these are, you know, they, they replicate uh, human ability. It's uh, it's quite fascinating. Now, in the meantime, uh, the machine smith is watching. Right, he's he's watching from uh, his headquarters through the screen, much like how the last uh, issue ended, and um, uh, basically. Nick Fury says, I want to know if there's any connection between this thing and the manipulator robot that Cap fought last month, which uh, was issue 242, or that LMD hassle I had, which was in Defenders 54, uh, which we all know uh, it did. And Cap's looking at this and, uh, robot, and he's thinking, um, did Strucker's eye just move? Wait a minute. What if the robot's sensory circuits are still working, spying on us? And why would someone who could build such a complicated device leave us enough of the remains to examine unless, next page, unless it's booby trapped and he dives over and he pushes out the, the, uh, the scientist and, and others, just as the machine Smith is, is pushing the destruct button. And then there's this really cool middle uh, panel that it just has this big Boom! With all these effects around it, and you could see through John Byrne's uh, glowing of the uh, the robot on the table. It's a pretty cool effect. And um, so then out of the out of the wreckage comes this sphere that just pops up and starts flying away. And and the the soldiers there are trying to shoot it down, but it's just it's too small, it's too fast, and it's uh, you know. Flying off, and Nick Nick Fury gives the soldiers the Riot Act because, well, he's Nick Fury. So Cap says he's he's gonna help. Nick Fury says no, this is Shield business. Um, I'll let you know when we find out anything, and and he takes off. And Cap's like, hmm, well that never stopped him before. Uh, and then Dum 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 Dugan gives uh, gives him a ride to the Avengers Mansion. All right, so here on the next page we have. The Machine Smith giving his evil genius monologue that we uh, are are used to seeing in comic books it's a So Machine Smith saying yes yes indeed Captain America is most capable I wish I kept a closer monitor tap on my Strucker robot ah well I shall have my data soon and then the sphere that we saw leave before shows up ping 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 I believe I hear it coming now hello little gadget 2 why I haven't seen you since I sealed you up inside that wicked robot baron? Have you brought me all that wonderful information you absorbed from him? Ping, ping. Excellent. Just plug yourself into my central syn- synapse system, and we'll analyze all that lovely data. Click. There's a good little gadget. So then he uh, he he walks over to uh, another room, and he asks if uh, the prime subject has been. Has been yielding results of the tests on that, and the robots explain that yes, so he's he's very excited about that. So he goes down and he rips the cover, much like a a uh, Frankenstein, right? Where he rips it off the monster to reveal a monster, and it is it's Dragon Man, and he's huge, right? I mean he's he's a huge curled up uh, dragon, and. um so Machine Smith, you know, in his evil monologue, goes on to say, um, uh, oh, this is too rich. In just a matter of hours, one of the mightiest synthetic beings on the face of the earth will be mine to command. The good Captain America has seen fit to defeat two of my robotic creations, Strucker and the Manipulator. I wonder how he'll fare against my new acquisition. Will he die slowly or all at once? Ha 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 ha. Got to have the evil laugh, man! Ah, uh, you, you nailed it! <laughs> <laughs> ha ha ha! Evil laugh. All right. So next page, uh, we get a nice uh, uh, two-thirds splash showing Steve Rogers in a business suit, uh, in a in doing his day of going out and uh, as an artist with his portfolio in his in his hand, walking around meeting with art directors and. Going through the the sad sack story of, of being an artist, I always love when when they do this, right? Because uh, you know it's you know the writers and the artists of the comic books they're they're kind of giving their own little.
1: They're channeling here. Oh, totally. Yeah, it... yeah. I was a little disturbed though. I mean, he is wearing a suit with uh, with a turtleneck, so that that bothered me a little bit. But I guess it was the times. It was
0: 1980, Bob. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So he gets off this uh, bus because he takes the public transportation. He says, "Boy, am I bushed! I can't believe I spent a whole day visiting agencies and couldn't find a single bit of work." So next page, uh, his buddy Josh invites him to join uh, him and Mike for dinner, and so uh, and mentions that uh, Mike's old college buddy is in town and uh, has a you know great recipe for spaghetti or something like that. And so he goes, yeah, they go in there. And as, as he comes into Mike's apartment, he sees Bernie. And he says, pleased to meet you, Bernie. And it's a woman. And she says, it's short for Bernadette. Steve, and believe me, the pleasure's all mine. Next page, she jumps up off the couch and she comes up to shake his hand. She says, I'm going to be moving in across the hall. So I guess we'll be neighbors. Uh, that's what Josh was saying. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll like it here. This is a very good area. Oh, I know. You say, you've got one too. And he says, one what? She says, a cleft in your chin. And they smile at each other. So instant attraction, it looks like. Yeah,
1: I don't, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know about the rest of the listeners, but I, for one, don't appreciate that you rushed right past that, uh, that panel of Bernie on the bottom of the previous page because uh, she's, she's a looker. You know, uh, as a young guy, uh, yeah, I don't. You know, as I said, I don't remember reading this one. But had I, I would have lingered on that on that page. I'm sure, as my seventh grade self.
0: <laughs> well, you know, she. You know, she kind of reminds me of um, who. Who is the actress that uh, was in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark?
1: You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Karen Allen.
0: Yes, yes, Karen Allen. Right. Yeah. Kind of resembles and this was right around that time. It was or, yeah. Mark, right. Uh, yeah. So um yeah she kinda of has like that oh yep. Uh sorry to to go past that. Now here's the thing. Uh cleft in the chin. Now I I don't mind when artists have different interpretations of Cap. Right? Uh you know everybody's got a slight little difference. Um and if he's got a cleft in his chin uh you know that's great but to spell it out here now it's like setting it up for the next you know 41 years if you didn't put a cleft in his chin some somebody's going to be like well you left the cleft out
1: right yeah that's
0: (laughs) people do right you're right um,
1: well, you know, I got to tell you, you know, you hear a lot of Cap fans, you know, we, we, we communicate with a lot of Cap fans and Captain America comic book fans uh, group. And uh, we often debate the, uh, the uniform, right? Mm-hmm. Captain America's uniform and the shield and, and, and continuity and, and the ability of creative teams to, to keep a certain standard, but uh, you don't, you don't hear or read near as much discussion of, of Steve Rogers actual physical face.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So, but you're right. This this locks in uh, creators for the next forty years. You got to have a cleft.
0: Yeah. Other than the blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. And and the strong jaw. Right. He's got the strong jaw. I think I think that's the those three things are definite uh, st- standbys for for all the artists. Okay, so we go back into the Machine Smith's um, evil lair. And he's there, uh, he's wringing his hands very much like a, like a mad scientist with his um, mad uh, you know, monster on the table. And he's like, incredible. After all these months of living buried underground, Dragon Man still clings to life. The great beast has merely lapsed into a dormant state just waiting for the spark that will return him to full vitality. And he puts his hand on the lever. Again, very much uh, like a Dr. Frankenstein, right? He's about to pull the the lever. And he, he, he says, I have but to throw this switch to return the dragon man to the living. But then he looks a little pensive. Just throw this switch and I shall restore his life. And then he puts his head in his hand. Yes, life, a life more real and true than this existence I am forced to endure. I can no longer even cry. But then he gets angry and he clutches his fist and he pulls down the lever. You hear? Even tears are denied me, all because of men like Captain America. That is why he must know the true meaning of death. So he pulls down the lever and uh, all these vaults go into Dragon Man who wakes him up. Now, the Dragon Man, of course, reacts accordingly, right? So he he, uh, uses his fists and starts pounding and ripping up and the and machinesmith's like, ungrateful wretch, I give you life and you repay me with violence? No, what am I saying? you Your mind is barely that of a child. Gadget 12, come here. Now, Dragon Man, let's see how you react to my little toy. And so the, the little sphere uh, kind of puts Dragon Man into a more subdued state and his childlike state. And then he says, um, Gadget 12, you have your programming, your tracking circuits have all the data on Captain America. His aura pattern, his scent, his mass displacement. Lee, drag a man to him and initiate the attack mode. That's pretty cool. I never thought of it that way. I never thought, I mean, you know, villains trying to figure out a hero's secret identity, they, they might have a general, like, all right, he's, this person is this tall, maybe weighs this much, uh, maybe skin tone if they can see them, uh, eye color perhaps, sometimes their voice. But this, he talks about his aura pattern and his mass displacement, his scent.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very clever. It really is. That's clever writing. Very ingenious.
0: Yes, well done by Stern. So we cut back to Brooklyn Heights and uh, there the, the the three friends and the, and the new the new uh, introduction, Bernie, you're all sitting around and um, looks like they're having some some coffee or tea and they're talking about music, talking about Bruce Springsteen and Elvis Costello. So that's pretty cool. And next thing you know, on the radio, uh, it's, um, the news comes on and it says, we're getting reports this evening of a strange flying object buzzing certain buildings in midtown Manhattan. Included in those sighting sites are the workshops. The Goodman and the Hartley buildings. So Steve thinks that's funny. I, I visit all of those buildings today in in that very order. And so Bernie says, "Oh, don't tell me we're in for another UFO scare." So Steve gets up and he starts walking to the window, and he's like, "If I didn't know better, I'd, I'd almost think someone was tracking me, but no, that that's ridiculous." And then we get Bernie's thoughts, and she says, "Hmm." <laughs> i'm going back i'm going back to to uh diamondback when steve was running Mm. yeah i know she moved right so she's looking at steve as he's walking past her and she's like "Mm." that man certainly knows how to move just walking across the room he looks like he's ready for anything
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think anyone said that about me ever
0: If they saw me, they're like, oh, he looks like he's ready for another slice of pizza. (laughs) So she then thinks, uh, and she says to herself, I don't think I've met anyone with that much presence. Again, I think Roger Stern, all right, come on now. You're a little overdoing it here. I mean, we get it. We get it. The man has presence. So he looks out. uh, Steve looks out the window. He goes, what on earth? I got to check this out immediately. Immediately. So he bumps into uh, Bernie, and he says, "Excuse me, Bernie, folks, I have to run." Just remember to import Aaron. So he runs out, and she's like, "Well, that was certainly abrupt." Um, and Josh is like, "Ah, I wouldn't take that too personally." He's that's that's just Steve. He's not rude. So Cap gets on his uniform. He's out, and he, and he runs to where he saw that silhouette, and he and he does. He sees uh, Dragon Man, and the. Um, and I'll just uh, read what he what he has in his thoughts. He says, I hoped I was wrong about the silhouette, but it's him all right, Dragon Man. I never went up against him myself, but as I recall, he gave Hercules a run for his money. Now, Hercules is one tough dude. And that was back in Avengers number 42. I'll have to approach him very carefully. According to the Avengers information file, his mind is even more childlike than the Hulk's. I don't understand why he could would come here. Wait, that metal ball he's playing with is just like the one that was inside the Strucker robot maybe I have been followed and then just then the sphere starts to let off this really annoying noise to Dragon Man which causes him to react violently and he starts ripping up the uh the 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 the, the, the roof of this this building that they're on and um Cap's like, I, I have to lure him away from here. This is heavily residential area. If he keeps ripping buildings apart, there's no telling how many people could get hurt. And sure enough, next page, the, uh, the Dragon Man Cap uh, bust through a wall uh, into the bedroom of this couple. And so um, he's like, oh no, civilians. The woman screamed distracted Dragon Man for just a second, but it was enough for me to leap away. Now I better put myself bet- between Big Gray and those folks before he notices them. Now
1: that's, you know, that's an example right there of uh, poor, poor Harry and his wife, right? Uh, asking, uh, be careful what you ask for. She wanted a little more excitement in her life, but I don't think she saw that one coming.
0: Right out of a sitcom, right? <laughs> so, uh, so Cap, you know, gets the civilians away. And then there's this, the second panel on page 26. It's a really cool panel because it's, it's, um, it's Cap hurling his mighty shield. And it's, uh, it's a really cool, you know, with his, his left arm, he's hurling this, this disc, which um, hits Dragon Man, who just grabs it and puts it in his mouth. He starts to chew on it, but it's indestructible shield, so he can't do anything with it. So the Dragon Man just hurls it straight into the air. Matter of fact, it goes so high, uh, a, a plane uh, flies by it. Um, so it's... Um, it's gone. He no longer has that, that uh, weapon or uh, defense. So um, then they, they're getting up onto the roof again. Um, Dragon man has fire breath and he, he he does his flames towards cap who he says, Oh, Oh no, I just, I just remembered. Um, I I forgot that he's, he's got that. Um, So he tries to um, get, the Dragon Man, to hit the water tower, which is on the top of the building, uh, to put out the fire. So that was good. That was smart on Cap's part. He leaps to another building, again, trying to get away. Um, And he's there on this building, but Dragon Man's quick. And just then, the shield, you know, what goes up must come down. And uh, the shield lands and distracts Cap just enough time for Dragon Man to grab him. And it's, uh, he's my shield... Hitting that chimney with such velocity distracted me at just the wrong time. Dragon Man's got me. And the Roger Stern writes here, two great gray hands close around the Avengers midsection like a vice. As the buzzing in the Dragon Man's head grows more and more shrill, driven to a state of utter frenzy, the huge beast tightens his grip. It begins to squeeze the very life from the body of Captain America. We sincerely suggest you do not miss our next issue. Death comes calling.
1: I don't want to miss it, Rick. I mean, this could be the end of Cap.
0: Yeah, this could be the last issue. So um, we've got another letter from Roger Stern written in the back here. And, uh, I, you know, it's really interesting. I, I, I love getting his point of view on Captain America. So this is titled, Researching the Sentinel of Liberty. Taking on the writing of such an ideologically and historically important character as Captain America is enough to give the boldest of scribes pause. Thus, it should come as no surprise to learn that yours truly was more than a little nervous when he learned that he had landed this assignment. Well, sir, I had this little habit that when I'm particularly uneasy about a subject, I research it, think about it for a while, and then research it again. All right, so background on the The career of Captain America is pretty easy to come by, and certainly I've reread all the issues of Cap, Tales of Suspense, The Invaders, and The Avengers many times over. But what about the mind of Captain America? Who is he? Sure, he's a patriot and an idealist, but how did he get that way? The only way to really understand that, to really get into Cap's head, is to study the America of his childhood. Luckily, there are two excellent histories available. Frederick Lewis Allen's Only Yesterday and Since Yesterday, which present a very detailed picture of the United States in the 20s and 30s. Retrospectively, these provided the foundations for the exploration of the mind of Captain America. More detail was to be found in Richard R. Lingman's Don't You Know the War is On? A very concise history of the American home front during World War II. All three of these books have proven invaluable in my research. If we've said many times, however, Captain America is more than just a man. He is a symbol, a personification of the American dream. But just what is America? Well, we all have our own ideas on that subject, and a great number of those ideas are in conflict. However, a very good overview of the concept of America, as opposed to the physical nation or continent, is contained in... America, the View from Europe, by J. Martin Evans. And believe it or not, a book that dwells more on the philosophy of America than it does on engineering is Brooklyn Bridge Fact and Symbol by Alan Trittenberg. I first picked up this text to get a little background on the bridge, as it's a dominant feature in the Brooklyn Heights area, where Cap now lives as Steve Rogers. But in a remarkable bit of serpendipity, I discovered that Trittenberg's book went into incredible detail on the philosophical ideal of America, and indeed, on its heroic, all but divine nature. And that, basically, is why John and I began our first issue of Captain America with Cap dashing boldly across Brooklyn Bridge. As Sir Kenneth Clark put it, quote, all modern New York, heroic New York, started with Brooklyn Bridge. The research, of course, still goes on. Still waiting on the shelf are Ernie Pyle's Brave Men and This Is Your War, Gary Wells' Inventing America, and a volume or two on the New Deal years. Don't get the idea, though, that we'll be turning Cap into a philosophical treatise. Far from it. No, our aim is simple to get inside the good Captain's noggin and make him as real as we possibly can. And for those of you who enjoy picking a character's brain yourselves, welcome aboard. The aforementioned books are highly recommended. Roger Stern, New York City.
1: I, I got to tell you, I've read, I've read a few of those books, uh, Rick, but uh, one of the ones he uh, mentioned early on in that letter was uh, Frederick Lewis Allen's Only Yesterday, and uh, and I would rate that as, as one of the top 10 uh, history books that I've ever read. It's truly, truly fascinating.
0: Well, I think that's a sign of any good writer, right, is doing your yeah. research. So um and I think you and I have said over and over again on in, in this podcast series that getting in Steve's head is is half the fun. Yeah. So here we are, cover 249, our, our last issue to go cover in, in this episode. And it is um, Cap Smashes Through. And it's, it's a very colorful cover. It's Captain America. And we have him fighting robots. Uh, we have... Spider-Man, a faceless Spider-Man robot, and a headless thing robot, and then a Magneto robot on the ground, all fighting him. And in the background, we have Machine Smith uh, pointing and yelling, and for some reason, holding a wrench.
1: Yeah, wrench does seem a bit superfluous with the uh, micro circuitry of of these robots, but
0: well, he is a, a Machine Smith after yeah, all, right? So the title of this is Death, Where Is Thy Sting? And we have, again, Roger Stern, John Byrne, co-plotters, and writer and penciler, Joe Rubenstein, inker, Bob Sharon, colorist, Jim Novak, literate, and Jim Selkrup, editor. Oh, and it's interesting, the the credits in this uh, splash page are in Captain America's shield. So nice little job there. Yeah, yeah. So we, we pick up where we left off where the Dragon Man is on top of a building in the middle of the night and he is holding Captain America in his grips cr- uh, crushing him. Captain America's shield is over to the side. So he is there and he, he, doesn't, he, he's, he doesn't know what to do. He's losing his breath. And so the only thing he can do, something I've never seen him do before or maybe even since, is he takes his glove off and he throws it at the only vulnerable part on Dragon Man in his eye, which causes Dragon Man to drop Cap. And um, uh, so it worked. So that uh, was kind of clever.
1: That takes some confidence in that. You know, I guess, you know, if you're going to, you got to do something.
0: So he chases after um, the sphere. He realizes the, the sphere is the thing that's causing Dragon Man to go crazy. And uh, on page three, in the second panel, John Byrne does this really cool move. I don't know if we see this too often, but, you know, we've seen Cap, you know, use his arm and and swing his shield and destroy something. But it's a cool angle. He's got it um, horizontal, and it's face down so that his hand is on the top and the shield is underneath facing down and he's doing a motion with his left arm. It looks like it's coming across his body and then his arms extending all the way left. So it's a really good cool motion uh, I think John uh, Byrne had done here. Then he uh, he grabs his glove and Dragon Man now that he's, he's no longer being tormented by the sphere he just decides to leave and he flies off but he but Dragon Man remembers where the sphere was. So he's going back to where that was. And so Captain America is trying to chase after him, but he can't keep up. So he grabs a clothesline, throws it on, lassos his foot and and uh, goes following Dragon Man. So cut to uh, the bottom of page five. And we have uh, a crowd has gathered around this building that they were fighting because they're course you know a wall was taken out and there was this fire and flood and and so there's bernie and and josh cooper and they're talking talking about it and um, the next page uh, page six we have um, uh, uh, mike who's a fireman comes up and he says um, you know the eyewitnesses claim that the blaze was started by some big monster that was uh, chasing captain america and bernie says a monster captain america here And Mike says, isn't that something? They say Big Dragon uh, came after him, tossing chunks of baser around like it were marbles. And Bernie says, well, I hope Steve wasn't hurting any of that. And we we haven't seen, we haven't been able to find him. And Josh says, yeah, I think Steve's got himself a one-woman fan club here. So she turns and he's like, oh, come on, Bernie. I was just kidding. But then we get a little panel, right, uh, of Bernie saying, kind of uh, in a kind of looking off panel, dreamy kind of, she says, He's right. I I guess I do care about Steve. But that's crazy. We just met. Things like that don't happen in real life, do they? So as this uh, same page, uh, Caps coming, uh, he sees Dragon Man's about to land. So he he does a nice little somersault. And again, I just love how you know this uh, burn just depicts this this rolling five times to uh, to with the momentum to um, to a more manageable speed. Uh, next page we have Dragon Man going up to this barn and he just takes it and rips it apart like it's paper, and j- jumps down into this this hole, uh, this staircase, and Cap's like, "Wow, uh, you know he just." He just uh, jumped down there. I've, you know, never, you know, seen a barn with a substructure like this. So they both go down, and um, it looks like this is Machine Smith's lair. And Dragon Man just bursts in, and there's Machine Smith, and he says, "What, Dragon Man? You're not supposed to be here. Where is our little gadget I had guiding you? Drat, drat, drat! I knew I should have kept closer tabs on the two of you." What do you think you're doing? You cannot harm me. Gadgets eight, nine, and 10. Front and center. Teach this brute a lesson. And so it does, it it shocks uh, with a half a million volts knocking the uh, dragon man out. Poor, poor, feeble-minded beast. Why did you have to threaten me? You hadn't a chance of winning. I prepare for everything. Now this next page, I love uh, what Byrne does here, right? So the top uh, panel is um, this horizontal panel that goes across, and it's just caps shield uh, face facing the reader, right? Uh, going through and machine smith turning looking at it. Everything, Mister, are you prepared for me? And then as it goes past machine smith, why would it go past machine smith? I don't know. Well, we see in the next panel it ricochets four times to take out those three spheres, and then in the next panel comes back into Captain America's left hand perfectly as it slides over his glove with the straps. This is, this is cool stuff, man. I got to tell you, when you're a kid and you see this, that shield just, it's like, Whoa. You know, I mean, I, I, I love when artists do this with Cap's shield showing all the ricocheting.
1: Yes. But don't, don't try it at home. Don't, Don't you try that at home, by
0: Yes, for all those Cap fans listening out there, that I know many of you do have replicas at home, uh, some very nice and some very expensive shields on your wall, uh, don't try this at home. Cap then says, that's lesson number one. No amount of preparation is enough to cover every single eventuality. I suppose this is where I'm supposed to gasp. It's Captain America and the best villainous tradition. "'Fella, I don't care what you call me. "'Believe me, I've been called plenty of things in my time.' "'I don't doubt that, Captain. "'Still, I should warn you, "'Machine Smith is not one to be trifled with.' "'Machine Smith, is it? "'Well, Mr. Smith, "'I think you and I should have a few words. "'Judging from the equipment lining the walls, "'which there's a bunch of robots, "'including a Thing and a few other characters, "'I'd guess that you're the man behind the robots "'I've been fighting recently.' "'You're partially correct, sir.' both the Ursat's baron strucker and the manipulator were my creations but as to me being a man click and his head pops back pops back so he shows uh he's a robot good lord <laughs> that's what cap says nick <laughs> you're a robot too and then there's the head on the floor and it's got this little maniacal looking laughter face going on it's kind of spooky he says, ha ha ha, so even the great Captain America can be taken by surprise, eh? Excellent, you'll do just fine. Ha ha, click. And then from behind Cap, I hope you'll forgive my little joke, Captain, but you see, I do prepare for everything. Well, almost everything. Surprise, surprise. And Cap turns and there's Machine Smith, just casually leaning up against the doorframe with his arm crossed. And he says, surprise, and the next thing you know, from behind him, uh, here comes the ever-loving thing uh, punching Cap, and he puts his shit up just in time, and he says, it's clobbering time. And so you have Cap surrounded by robots, including the headless thing, the faceless Spider-Man, Magneto, with, it looks like he's missing a hand, and, and several other robots, and they all start attacking Captain America. So Cap's thinking to himself, incredible, I don't know how Machine Smith does it, but he actually but, but he has half of these robots actually acting like the people they're built to mimic. Still, I have one big advantage. They're not completely assembled. I'd never have been able to use a fully functional Magneto against an operational Spider-Man this way, and he takes Magneto's cape and hurls Magneto into Spider-Man, knocking over a couple other robots. Likewise the real thing, or even a reasonable facsimile, would have been much harder to trash than the headless wonder any he knocks down thing. You'd best give up now, Machine Smith. This erector set squad won't hold me back for long. Oh too bad. How about a nice strong oxum steel door then? Ta ta So just as the steel door is closing, Cap takes one of the robots and throws it there to wedge it open. And Cap chases after Machine Smith, and he knocks him down, pins him, and he says, "I know all about, uh, I know about me, Machine Smith. It's you I want to know more about. As I said before, let's talk. Yes, you'd like a confession from the villain of the piece, wouldn't you? Well, why not? I'm not, I'm not new to this role, you see, Captain. I once assumed the role of Mister Fear to battle Daredevil high over New York. Alas, my combat prowess was not equal of my mechanical skills." They're on a high disc up in the uh, up in the sky above the city. I forgot to account for my imbalance of two combatants on a pitching flying platform. Unhappily, I slipped. I'm afraid I didn't land very well. Fortunately, I had programmed my earliest robots to preserve my life at any cost. They found me in a lovely alley before the spark of life had fled. Caps, what? Do you honestly expect me to believe that you survived a fall like that? without any protection at all? Every word of it is the truth, Captain. After all, I'm here, aren't I? Click. And next thing you know, there's another machinesmith at the doorway. Or, I'm over here, behind you. Ha ha ha! You know, all these laughters that he's been doing throughout these issues? You get the sense he's a little crazy?
1: Well, he's crazy, or he's just, you know, he's, kind of, he's in good spirits. Mm. Maybe he's a joyful villain.
0: Oh well, man, Maybe. I'm gonna go with crazy.
1: He likes his work.
0: So uh, next thing you know, these uh, robotless hands, right? They're just hands. These these robot hands are just uh, coming in and grabbing uh, at Captain America, getting on his throat. Um, he's he's fighting all these hands, and um, he chases. He's fighting them, and and as he's fighting them, uh, the machine Smith decides to uh, make this his his backstory right so he says i haven't and and cap even thinks to himself why is he not running away so machine smith says i haven't had an opportunity to observe a fighting man up close in years of late i relied on remote cameras in silicon robots like your baron strucker seeing you in the flesh like this why i can almost understand why the tabloids persist in calling your kind superheroes oh shall i tell you more of my story while you fight I know why you doubted my deathfall story. I would doubt it myself if I hadn't experienced it. Ah, but happened it did. I shall never forget the sight that greeted me upon regaining consciousness. My first thought was that I was having some sort of delirium, but then the odd shapes began to resolve themselves into recognizable forms, those of my worker robots. I remember I felt very well, even strong although I had this incredible sense of detachment. And then I lifted my hand to my face, but it was no longer my hand. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. My robots had obeyed their prime objective and preserved my life in the only way they knew. My body had been battered beyond any kind of recovery, so they had programmed recorded my mind. In effect, I became a living robot. It was almost more than my mind could bear but I learned to live with it. I put my expertise to work and created a score of robots. Some, self-sustaining models, like the manipulator, were for my own amusement. Others, simpler robots, I leased or sold to uh, entrepreneurs. They provided the capital to maintain my labs and eventually to construct a more human appearance for my new identity, machine smith. And this was... um, Told uh, some of these were told in Avengers 178, Cap 4242. So, Cap's thinking to myself, What a story! If it's true, it explains a lot. Machinesmith awoke to find he was no longer human, it must have driven him mad. See, yeah, I think he's crazy. I think you've heard enough for now, Captain. Let's end this, shall we? And then, this these doors start to close, but not, uh, you know, the uh, typical left and right door. We're talking doors from the bottom and the top closing. So Cap jumps through, knocks down, and um, the Machinesmith says, three strikes, Captain? You're out. Click. And again, the head falls off. Seems to be a uh, Machinesmith uh, trademark move. And Cap thinks, blast! How am I ever going to stop a man who can switch his mind from one body to another? Do I have to smash every single robot he ever built? I wonder how many of these he has He has left? Oh, No!
1: As it turns out, he has quite a few left, Rick.
0: Yes. There are, I don't know, a couple dozen machines. A couple machines, dozen, yeah. All in that snazzy yellow jumper. and <laughs> <Green> And they're <boots. laughs> all attacking him. And so Cap says, I don't believe it. How can he spread his mind out over a dozen or more robots? I can't believe Smith would program other robots to act just like him. He must be slipping from one body to another, but what keeps the other robots up in the meantime? What? Hmm. They seem to be fighting the hardest when they get closer to that computer bank. They're protecting it. I'll just bet that the computer is directing the robots that Smith isn't inhabiting. So Cap gets this little smile on his face. And uh, as he gets closer, one of the robots says, where are you? He's headed for the central synapse system. Stop him. Central synapse system, that sounds like what I'm after. If I'm right, smashing this should make them fall down, except for one. That one will be Machinesmith, hopefully trapped in one body. And another big waboom. Cap, like, is knocked back from the explosion. What? They're all down. Then the real Machinesmith got away. And then coming from the the computer, there's a little... Eh, just kind of a silhouette of a face kind of on the screen. Not really well done. And um, it says, no, no, I'm afraid you're mistaken. Cap, it's quite impossible for me to get away. Actually, I've been here all the time. Uh, but I see you're confused. Allow me to explain. Remember how I said my robots had programmed, recorded my mind? So they did, but into this computer. Cap says, so you've, been, you've become a living robot? no. I said that, in fact, I become one. A bit of a half-truth, I'm afraid. You see, I give my, to give me mobility, my cybernetic circuits microbeam me into the bodies. I'm, I'm never quite all there. So on the last page, Machinesmith continues, even after I've developed a more human-looking body, I knew I was living the most outrageous lie imaginable, living, ha, I was just existing. I remember one day I decided that death would be preferable. It would be simple, I thought. Just smash the computer and be done with it. Unfortunately, the prime directive to preserve my life was too ingrained in my cybernetic systems. No matter how I tried, I couldn't kill me. Eventually, I reasoned that my only hope lay in men and heroes such as yourself, and every bit of data I compiled told me that if anyone could find a way to defeat me, it was Captain America. The cap said, "You, you use me to commit suicide." Yes, I am sorry, Captain. I know how dedicated you yourself to the pre- preservation of life in its many forms. But believe me, there are cases in which the quality of life falls so low, it becomes a little more than a crude mockery of what life should be. I knew you would not willingly end my life, so trickery was my only resort. But be of good heart, sir. You have not truly taken a life, perhaps. You have even saved a soul. Click. So Cap thinks to himself, I wish I could believe that. Smith, I I really do, but I I just can't. Maybe there's something to what you said, but I've, I've seen too many deaths in my time, too many lives wasted needlessly. I've never stopped believing that life is something most sacred, something to be sacrificed only for that greatest of causes, liberty. Next issue, Captain America for president.
1: Man, I I, I love this last page, Rick. Uh, this it, this is some of the best writing, um, you know. I, I, I that uh, that I've seen, you know, uh, because it is philosophical. It's about the value of life, and uh, and I think it's quite a twist on the story, right? Because you know, even even you said it sounds this guy sounds like a. A maniacal villain, right? A guy who has lost his marbles, but uh, there's a twist at the end uh, that I thought the uh, the writer really brilliantly used to uh, to sort of draw the reader's attention back to the question of Cap taking life or preserving life, and how to, how the Machine Smith got around that commitment.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, 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 talk about philosophical questions. It almost seemed like uh, when he was talking about uh, this it becomes little more than a a cruel mockery of what life should be uh you know you know and you know, so maybe he you know is is he debating whether or not life support or or euthanasia i mean but but in cap's mind no no it's it's black and white right there's it's uh you know he's seen too much of of life needlessly the end and every life is important um uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, it gets you thinking, you know. Yeah.
1: But you know, it, you know, in a, sort of on a deeper level, though. I mean, is he also talking about? Uh, is there a message here for Cap about, you know, what is life? Because you know, Cap's life has always been about uh, being Cap, you know. And and uh, in recent issues, and 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 this this storyline will accelerate. You know, we explore Steve Rogers' life and trying to strike that balance between you know, his duty and carving out a, a, a world for Steve.
0: Yeah. Yep. And I, and I think we're off to a really good start here with Roger Stern. Um, you know, I, I think he gets cap. He, I think he's doing a good job building uh, a life for Steve and, and the characters supporting cast introducing Bernie. Um, so it's uh yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed I, this, uh, these three issues. It's a great start to this all too short nine issue run. And, of course, the art by John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein was just uh, amazing. Um, So I'm going to end this issue with um, a response by Roger Stern to a letter because I thought it was interesting. Uh, And this is in in this last issue. Um, He says, uh, this is Roger Stern, the writer, talking. He says, Cap will undoubtedly be making stands on issues of the day. I should warn you, however, that those stands are likely to concentrate on broad statements of principle, as opposed to specific references to actual events. There's many a reason for this, not the least of which involves publishing lead time. John and I started working on this issue of Captain America during December of last year, and you're reading it now in June. A lot can happen in six months, and a topical subject introduced into a story can quickly become old news. Moreover, I don't feel that I really have the right to turn what is basically an entertainment magazine into my personal soapbox for presenting cures to the world's ills. My answer to foreign and domestic problems are probably no better or no worse than anyone else's. However, it is possible to present situations in these pages which parallel international and national events, which involve cap-making decisions and taking stands, and which are, hopefully, the foundations for interesting stories. Next issue, for example, we actually do get involved with some political material when an up-and-coming third party seeks cap services as their standard bearer in the upcoming presidential elections. The story is called Captain America for President, and it just might surprise you. And by the way, we will certainly get to that issue and other John Byrne and Roger Stern issues. Um, Roger Stern goes on to say, among other topics that will play a part in future storylines are the energy crisis Terrorism and extortion, age prejudice, and taxes. Along the way, we'll even be throwing in a little something on rock music versus the big bands, the quality of life in America, the practicality of lighter than air flight, the birth and death of superheroes, and the long-term effects of a lack of sleep on freelance artists. (laughs) And speaking of artists, how do John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein suit you? Well, I think there's, I think we all answer Suits us pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, suits me just fine.
0: Well, that was uh, fun covering those issues. You know, um, we would love to talk with you on our Facebook group, which is the Captain America Comic Book Fans Facebook group. We have uh, over 2,500 members on there, all devoted to the love of Captain America comic books. So we'll be talking about these issues and others, of course. Um, And if uh, you have any interest in letting us know your thoughts. Uh, You can also go on to Apple uh, uh, Podcasts or on iTunes, and you can leave us a, hopefully a five-star rating, uh, which we've been getting a bunch of lately. And a recent uh, review was from a uh, Johnny Bad Touch. Uh, We won't explore that name. Um, He says, and the title this, By Cap Fans, For Cap Fans. And he wrote... Great podcast hosted by two of the biggest Captain America fans that I know. Can't wait to see what future content Rick and Bob bring to the show. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah, that was a nice one.
0: Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, And we appreciate anyone who uh, leaves us a review, and possibly we will uh, mention it here on air. So the next uh, episode, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, We mentioned uh, episode eight is going to be a bonus episode. And in case you haven't noticed, we've been putting out new episodes every Wednesday, just like New Comic Day. And that's our goal. So uh, as long as you keep listening, we'll keep putting content out there. Uh, But, you know, we had this interview with Joe Rubenstein. We were going to put it in this this episode, but it kind of went a little... um, Longer than we uh, had anticipated, and much to our happiness, because it was a great interview. And he talks about his time with um, the Captain America uh, series, uh, including his run with John Byrne, um, his time working with Paul Neary, um, some work he did with Mike Zek, um, uh, and others as well. He had, he had an amazing uh, career as an inker. Uh, so I hope you listen to that. That'll be out on Saturday. As episode eight. And then, you know, let's, uh, let's give people a little bit of a tease for episode nine. We're not actually going to talk about Captain America comic books. We're not actually going to interview anybody. We're going to do a top 10 list where this was a suggested by one of our, um, uh, great members of the Captain America comic book fans, Facebook group. And, um, Shout out to, to him. Um, well, we'll give him a shout out on episode number nine. But we're going to do the top 10 Captain America villains not named Red Skull, right? Because, I mean, we all agree, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's probably number one, right? I That's mean, a given, yeah. I, I think so. So here's what we'd like to do. We would like you to uh, go to our Anchor homepage. You can find that as the link of... um any of our podcasts, no matter where you listen uh, in the show notes, there's a link to the anchor uh, web page. That's kind of our podcast homepage. Um, And we want you to go on there and leave us a recorded message um, up to 60 seconds. Don't keep in mind, you get cut off after 60 seconds. So be succinct. And we want to hear you pick one Captain America villain of who you think definitely belongs in top 10 and why. And, um, you know, uh, we will pick uh, some of our our uh, the more interesting ones and we'll play them in that episode. So look for that uh, number episode number nine, top 10 Captain America villains, not named Red Skull. That's
1: going to be a great episode. I can't, I can't wait to, to do that one. Rick.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun. All right, Bob, you know, as always, I enjoyed wrapping cap with you.
1: Yeah, it's been super fun, man. Super fun. And listeners out there, do not do not miss the interview with Joe because you're going to love it.
0: Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right, take care everybody.